Welcome to Family Office Connections. I'm Edward Marshall, Managing Director at Boston Private. Today, we continue our series of discussions focused on the results of the Family Office Survey that we recently released. In that report, we asked over 200 Family Office executives uh, to give us their thoughts on risk and threat matters they face every day. The results were illuminating on one hand, answered a lot of questions uh, that we had, but also posed some new ones and provided some unexpected insights into how family offices look and behave around risk management. These findings certainly open new areas to evaluate and present opportunities for both the advisors uh, to families and to the families themselves around how to manage and address risk more effectively. My guest today is Shannon Wilkinson of Reputation Communications. Uh, Shannon, listen, before we get started, give us a little bit about your background and then specifically if you could talk to your experience of working with family offices. Thank you. And thank you, Ed, for having me today. I've been in the online reputation management field for a decade. I founded Reputation Communications. And our first clients a decade ago included some of the uh, top uh, families in the Forbes 400 list. And what we found was that they were often the targets of Uh, defamation online of what we now call fake news. Um, During the course of of helping families like that, I became familiar with how their um, staffs were set up. You know, we we usually interfaced with their representatives in their family offices. And we also experienced um, high net worth clients who went from not having a family office to having one. Um, During the course of of this period, Our primary role with such families has been reputation repair. We've also done a lot of um, audits regarding their their privacy risks on the internet. And we work within a partnership of experts in risk mitigation and security. Um, what's, What's interesting about this, and I think is very different from people who do not work with high net worth individuals or family offices, is that uh, the the great majority of these partners are experts who came out of um, the State Department, the FBI, or the Secret Service, where they were not only trained, but they developed protocols in cybersecurity and personal security and privacy really on the highest level uh, with presidents and their families and diplomats. Um, So that is my background. And, and that's why we're here today. Excellent. Great. Well, let's dive into the report uh, specifically around uh, the two findings that we discussed. And the, the first one is around uh, family offices and, the, and their a need to develop a peer network um, centered around risk and risk management. I know this is an area that you've experienced and, and heard feedback from your family offices Uh, clients. And if you could give us your thoughts on that and where do you think uh, that space is going? Um, I think that your report hits the target in that so many family offices don't know and have relationships with other family offices, especially if they're, you know, spread out all over the world. Uh, They're not in a major metropolitan area like the Northeast, where a lot of your surveys were done. And And I think a a contributing aspect to this is the high level of privacy 
in people who serve family offices. Uh, for people who work in family offices, they're not going to, uh, you know, happy hours pre-COVID where they discuss what they do. It's a very private world. It's a very discreet world. Um, and that's part of the challenge. Um, but finding good vendors is clearly something that they seek and they seek to learn from their peers. So clearly your survey proves that there is a need for a network. I would say that there's also a need for a neutral, credible network that does not depend on what we call pay to play, um, as some of these organizations do that host conferences. Um, you know, if, if, if they invite you to be a presenter to a high, ne high net worth family group or a family office, uh, you might have to pay a fee to do that. Whereas in many conferences, you get paid a fee. Um, and a concern about that is simply that it means family offices can't, can't necessarily trust the information they're receiving from such, such networks. Um, the value of, of having peer groups is that many, many vendors who serve family offices know each other. Um, the security and the risk mitigation uh, groups that I just mentioned is a very large network. These are people who've known each other for possibly decades. Um, when we are referred to family offices or high net worth individuals, we're almost invariably recommended by a contact like that. And these are people who may have vetted us, they may have done due diligence on us, and, and that is something very important for the family office. So your report is definitely highlighting a very critical aspect. It sounds like the um, experience of you know, getting referrals from other family offices is, is something that you've you've experienced out in the in the marketplace uh, for this. It's an interesting uh, piece of data right there. I think the other uh, finding that I'd, I'd I'd like to discuss with you today is around you know, getting better insight on the vendors that you mentioned as well. Uh, you know how if you're a family office, small or have been at this for multiple generations, you know, how do you determine what is a good risk management vendor? Uh, and, and on the flip side, how do risk management advisors uh, make sure that they, you know, are able to, to tailor some of their services towards family offices? Well, what, what family offices need to be aware of is that there are a multitude of, of, of risk management consultants and firms and, and very fine ones. Um, some specialize almost exclusively in high net worth families and also high profile organizations. For example, perhaps a sports organization. So what they need to look for and can find are, are experts in risk mitigation who have a history and a track record of serving not just one or two family offices, but possibly several. Um, they, have, they have references, they vet everyone who works with them. Um, often these people have the, the type of background I mentioned before. They're, they have a background of possibly 20 years of, of risk mitigation on the very highest level, which would be for presidents or, or prime ministers. Um, and these people not only know how to vet um, their own employees. They do it consistently. And, you know, we speak with these people 
regularly because we have a network of them. And, and I can say that if they, if they consider bringing us into some situation, a family office might face, we have been vetted. We have, we've, they've looked at our bank accounts. They've done complete due diligence, certainly on me. We've signed non-disclosure agreements. Um, you know, we, we make, we may go through five um, background checks like that before we're even brought into a potential situation. And that is something that family offices should expect with every vendor they work with. Um, on the bright side, as I mentioned before, many vendors in this space have a specialization. They understand the family office, they understand the unique challenges that high net worth individuals and their families face. Um, something else I think is very important is as everyone knows, there's a lot of negative bias in our culture today toward wealthy people. Um, you know, it's there's so much disparity economically right now. And what a family office doesn't want is a vendor that that holds that type of bias or has employees that do. So the benefit of working with vendors who have a track record of serving this type of constituency is going to be safer all around. Um, so, so I believe that referrals are the best way to find, um, you know, a, a pool of vendors from which to choose. Because once you find a pool that's appropriate for your needs, say risk mitigation, the other, you know, the other important aspect is, you know, do they resonate with you? You know, is this someone you want to have a relationship with? Um, you know, a lot of it is is personality. I mean, there's one very well-known character in the space who specializes exclusively in, I would say, ultra net worth people. Um, you know, he's based in Texas appropriately. And, you know, if there's something that you, that you, that your client needs, that your family office needs in this particular risk mitigation sector, you know, this is the man that you want. And if he's not quite the right fit, if you need other services, he's going to know every, every conceivable provider that you should know about. And there are many people like this in the space. So I think it also comes back to uh, creating a peer network that is neutral, that is credible and, and trustworthy, enabling family offices to glean from each other the best, you know, the best in their field providers that they're using. Thanks, Shannon. And I'd say that if you wouldn't mind giving us some of the your thoughts on reputation management and some of the trends that you've been seeing with family offices, what, what's resonating now and what are some concerns that family offices should be aware of? Well, we, we see a few different trends. The biggest one is privacy. Um, because if you have certain types of privacy exposure, it can impact your reputation or just call too much attention to you. Uh, and I'll give you one example. Um, you know, often in, the, often in the family office field, um, someone may suddenly become quite wealthy. You know, perhaps they sell a company or, or there's an inheritance and, and they, they don't yet have a family office. So suddenly they need to set up a family office. And, and before, before they get to that step or as soon as they do, a very critical factor is to protect their privacy and their security. Um, if they live in a place like Boston or Washington, D.C. or, or Los Angeles, um, it's easier for them to do that 
because any professional they work with in setting up a family office knows what to do. But, you know, often these people are out in, uh, you know, they live in a rural area um, and it's very hard to conceal uh, your privacy. If you've just sold a company for $300 million and you're living out in, you know, the middle of some bucolic setting, um, you want to be able to do that simply so that uh, people do not know where you live. They can't find satellite pictures of your, of your home online. Um, they can't, you know, try to break into your home because if something like that happens, it can have a reputation impact. And of course, as we all know, many family offices um, include adolescents and teenagers. They're active on social media. And, and unfortunately, um, even though everyone knows you shouldn't say certain things on social media, they do, they, they, they say things that might be interpreted the wrong way um, on what they think are private chat rooms. They share inappropriate photographs. And if, and if they're underage and they're doing that, this can create tremendous reputation damage for decades. Um, it can involve investigations and all sorts of things. Something we see very commonly with family offices are when a relationship is severed, whether it's a romantic re relationship or a professional relationship, you know, maybe a family office lets go a longstanding staff member, um, or the family lets, you know, let, let goes, um, you know, a house manager or something of that nature. Um, it's, it's not uncommon for such people to, to create blogs in which they, they reveal inappropriate personal information about their former employers and certainly about their romantic partners. They, uh, they often will try to extort them. So those are the types of reputation risks that we see. And, and I will say that we've done, we've done investigative looks at the social media use of teenagers before they apply to college. And we've just done this like as, as a favor, you know, to, to someone in a family office. And, and sometimes what we see is we see social media posts that they did not write, but they shared that might be interpreted as being racist or sexist or, or harmful by Harvard or Wharton, or another school they might be applying to. So, you know, all of these are issues that they face. Um, the last thing I'll mention is because family offices prize privacy, um, generally they do not want any exposure on the internet. Uh, the majority of these people want to be low key. They wanna be off the radar. They don't want anything about themselves on the internet. And as a result, uh, they may not have gone through a process of protecting their name on internet platforms. As an example, yourname.com, which you can buy for $12 on googledomains.com. Um, unfortunately, high net worth people, family offices, if they're high profile, if they're active in politics, or they support a charitable initiative that, you know, upsets people, um, we've seen, we've seen perpetrators actually reserve their name.com if it's available or their name is a Twitter handle and they will create websites that either pretend to be them and Twitter feeds that pretend to be them or that, that, that publish embarrassing and inappropriate information that's intended to um, harm and minimize their credibility. So family offices need to be very proactive in 
registering the usernames of the family members and just protecting them so no one else can. Perfect. Well, thank you, Shannon. I really appreciate you joining me today. And to the folks listening, if you'd like to get in touch with Shannon or if you have any questions, do send us an email to familyoffice at bostonprivate.com. I'd also recommend that you check out our website. You can find numerous resources, download the paper that we've been discussing, sign up for our newsletter, get this podcast, and much, much more. That website is bostonprivate.com forward slash familyoffice. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you prefer to listen. That's it for today. Check back for a new podcast next week. Bye, everybody. This podcast is solely for informational purposes and is not a solicitation or an offer to buy any security or instrument or to participate in any trading strategy. The opinions expressed and information contained in this podcast are given in good faith, may be subject to change without notice, and are as of the date issued. All sourced information is believed to be reliable but has not been independently verified. This podcast discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic, market, or political conditions and should not be construed as personalized investment advice. The following does not represent a complete analysis of every material fact with respect to the topics covered herein. All investments carry a risk of loss. Neither BPW nor its investment professionals or representatives provide tax, accounting, or legal advice. Listeners should review any planned financial transactions or arrangements that may have tax, accounting, or legal implications with their advisors. For additional information about us, please refer to our Form ADV Disclosure Brochure, which may be obtained by contacting us at 800-422-6172 or info at bostonprivate.com. Private banking and trust services are offered through Boston Private Bank and Trust Company, a Massachusetts chartered trust company. Wealth management services are offered through Boston Private Wealth LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor and wholly-owned subsidiary of Boston Private Bank and Trust Company. Boston Private Bank is an FDIC member and equal housing lender. Investments are not FDIC-insured, not bank-guaranteed, and may lose value.